So I want to speak about the nature of metta and metta practice, uh, how it works, some suggestions for practicing with particular uh, challenges to metta practice. I'll say some about that. Kyra Jewell will also talk tomorrow some about working with some of the challenges of metta practice because I think as I mentioned earlier, we could really understand our practice as a continual inclining towards kindness, towards being connected with our kind and good hearts. And that's part of the dynamic of our practice. It's a training to learn to be more connected with our hearts, with our, with our kind hearts. And, you know, I know for myself, um, the training was really, really important. I think I always knew that I had a good heart because, you know, when I was a teenager, I would cry during driver ed movies. <laughs> Anyone else do that? <laughs> and so, and, you know, I, I remember sometimes crying during films, but that was not my, that was not generally what I was encouraged to do as a teenage male, right? That wasn't the program, right? Even though I knew I had a good kind heart. And so it was really, um, after graduating from teenagerhood, you know, and coming into my 20s and discovering metta and other practices and, you know, also relationships and so forth that uh, I could really learn to lead more with my heart, even though I think the basis of a good heart was there and kindness and so forth. So on the one hand, we incline in that direction. That's a huge part of the training because we train so that during the You know, during the time after the retreat, we will be more inclined to go in that direction. We may come into a situation and maybe that's challenging and really want to see if we can lead with our heart, even though there are challenges. You know, I know in my, for myself, just in the last uh, month, you know, I had some very challenging meetings and working out things. And I had a very, um, pretty strong intention that carried forth to, to meet everything with empathy and equanimity. Empathy could be called one of the heart practices. I think it's really related to, uh, to metta. It's that, you know, that way of being able to tune into what's in the heart of another and to oneself. And in this time, that was my intention. I would go to meetings, um, you know, Zoom and telephone meetings for the most part. And, but that would be, that I would try to lead in that way or emails or whatever. And um, it, it made a difference. And I, you know, I, like all of us, you know, if we look back, haven't always... Um, have that clarity, right? So part of the practice is to help us to learn to um, bring the kind heart into whatever we're doing. And again, it it's, can go hand in hand with, um, you know, naming something that's not right, setting boundaries, saying no, and so forth. And that's kind of like advanced practice, right? How do you, how do you do all that with a kind heart? Right, I think we're going to get to that towards the end of the retreat. <laughs> right, but it's it's actually um, you know beautiful practice, so deeply needed in the world. Right, right. How to bring you know how to bring um, the kind heart to political polarization. You know how to bring the kind heart to. Um, major differences of perspective. 
And so that's, that's a big part of our practice is to continually through the phrases incline towards kindness. And, you know, as, as I said this morning, it's, um, it's really helpful to think of all this as a practice, meaning we do our best, doesn't always go like we want. Sometimes it feels flat or dry. That's what practices are about. It's not about you turn, turn on metta and it just flows continually. So I'm sorry if any of our advertising for the retreat suggested otherwise. I've often thought that, what would it be like to have some truth in advertising, you know? Come, come to the meta retreat. Be able to identify much more clearly your five, your five main neurotic patterns that make metta hard. Do we ever put that in the advertising? I don't think so. But that's part of what we explore. And that, that really is the other side of it. We incline towards the kind heart and then we see what gets in the way, right? And it's not like we, you know, know immediately. It comes from practice. You know, we see what makes the kind heart harder, you know? Maybe it's being distracted or maybe it's being um, sleepy or tired. Or maybe it's uh, maybe it's being hard on ourselves, right? Or being or having or having uh, other mental emotional things come up. You know, maybe unresolved uh, grief or other things that we find in our experience, anxiety or whatever. And so the, the second part of the practice is seeing what makes the expression of metta harder in our own, in our own being, you know. And then that also, I think, has, you know, that has, uh, you know, out in the world that also has, um, we might say, an institutional dimension, you know, that I, I've done consulting some with... Um, Kaiser and with groups of doctors and nurses particularly. And, you know, I, I don't pretend that uh, loving kindness or mindfulness or other practices will resolve everything because all the settings I've been in, in they talk about major institutional issues, particularly overwork, right? Anyone here work in medical settings? Probably a lot of us, you know, I know. Is that rings true some? Yeah, and so we have to acknowledge that. And so there, there's, that's, that's also the case, whether it's, you know, the, you know, the particular work situations we're in or the larger, you know, the larger social institutions and what we have, you know, kind of coming at us sometimes if we're, you know, not in the uh, not in the dominant group, and so it's a lot, right? Having met in the midst of all of this is a lot. So, but it can be helpful to really hold those two ways that the practice works. That we incline continually; we do our best to incline continually towards the the kindness, the warm heart. And we do it, you know, we do it here in a training situation where conditions are simplified, you know, and we get to practice with those beings towards whom the metta flows the easiest. And we know that when we go back home into our work situations, there'll be other candidates for metta towards whom the metta will not necessarily flow easily, Right. And so we, this is the nature of all training. We train where it's easiest. We build the muscle. We build the capacity. That's what we're doing here. And we, we need this uh, time and we need this isolation in a way. We need the quiet to, to train like this. So that's, that's really what we're doing. It's also helpful to, to know and to recognize that this is a very, very ancient vocation. 
this inclination towards the kind heart probably goes back to all cultures throughout history. You know, not all of those have been recorded, but we know that the, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, as I mentioned, the development of the kind heart was developed in practices that were there in the, you know, what we would now call the Indian context before the time of the Buddha. You know, so this very, very uh, ancient uh, intention to come from whatever we call it, it's called different things in different cultures, come from kindness, come from love, come from compassion, come from um, friendliness or warmth and so, and so forth. So I'll read again from the Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. These are the instructions and who knows the path of peace. This is 2,600 years ago. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded. And near the end of the text, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. Those are our, those are our guiding instructions. And I've also really been um, appreciative of how this intention of kindness can be found in other traditions. You know, and again, um, interestingly though, what we have found is that um, systematic practices to develop um, kindness, something like metta, are not found in every tradition. We have had rabbis, we've had nuns come here and they say, well, there's nothing quite like metta. Interesting, coming from very extensive training. I mean, of course, uh, you know, they have other ways of de developing kindness, but not quite so systematically. So it's, that's interesting to hear from them, you know, that, you know, um, from, the, from the Jewish tradition, in the Talmud, it said, the highest form of wisdom is kindness. The highest form of wisdom is kindness. And this is from one of the mystical uh, Jewish texts called the Zohar, from I think about the 11th or 12th century. It quotes from the Psalms, the world shall be built on love. And it says, by this, the world endures. The world shall be built on love. By this, the world endures. And from the uh, Christian Bible, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can you hear that resonance across different traditions? This is from the Islamic tradition. This is one of the commentaries on the Quran, the prophet said, shall I not tell you of something which if you do it, you will love one another, spread the greetings of salam, peace among yourselves. And then uh, Rumi. How many of you know the poetry of Rumi? It's quite, 
quite out there. Do you know that an Islamic poet is the most um, bought poet in the United States? Even in the last uh, presidential administration? It's true. Anyway, Rumi says, love is the water of life. Drink it down with heart and soul. Love is the water of life. Drink it down with heart and soul. And then, you know, we we continually have, uh, when we turn to the writings and speeches of Dr. King, we we find that message also. He says, this call for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation is in reality a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all people. This oft-misunderstood and misinterpreted concept has now become an absolute necessity for the survival of humanity. When I speak of love, I am not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I am speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Whoa. Right, that's, that's our horizon, right? And so we we practice we practice metta, we practice this in different postures that will help us to bring it back home, you know, practice it in walking and in informal times, maybe in the dining hall. And there there when we get home and some of us have been hearing quite a bit in, in the groups, uh, some wonderful creativity. You know, that I, I know when I've done meta retreats, um, it kind of brings out creativity, like what opens my heart? Because metta has to be somewhat personal, right? Like what 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 connects? The, you know, the phrases have to be really uh, personally resonant. What connects with my heart and so forth? And I was thinking of um, a practice which developed with someone with whom I was working in a in a longer retreat, we had, I think, one of the uh, month-long retreats uh, several years ago. And we worked together and, and we developed a practice. And I think that she developed it and she says that I developed it. But the practice was moment to moment asking, what is the kind thing to do? It's a really simple practice. Can you imagine that in daily life? What is the kind thing to do? And she did it for 30 days in the retreat or 28 days, four weeks in the retreat, just continually asking. You know, she wasn't doing metal all the time, but it would be asking in a given moment, what's the kind thing to do? And this, it was, you know, a lot, what's kind to do for myself? Because I think that was, you know, that was uh, an issue that was there. Uh, But then it got turned into daily life and it became a regular practice. It was really good to check in, you know, a few months later and it, it, it was there, right? It was a, a, a regular practice, very simple practice. And I also thought of, uh, do you know Julia Butterfly Hill? People know her name? The person who sat up in the redwood tree that she named Luna. What was it about? Was it like almost 20 years ago, somewhere around there. And she sat up, she sat up in the tree so they wouldn't cut it down. I think it was, um, I think it was two and a half years, right? And they haven't cut it down. And her practice was very similar. She would ask, am I acting out of love? And so that can guide us here. That can guide us in daily life. That, that really is the, 
really is the essence of the practice. And it's, it's helpful to know also that uh, metta practice is part of a family of practices which um, traditionally are called the Brahma Vihara or the divine abodes. You know, I think in that quote from the Buddha when he said, you know, this is, a, this is the sublime abode, I think that probably is a translation of the word Brahma Vihara. And this is what um, this is what our four abodes are here at Spirit Rock, where we live. There's Metta, there's Karuna, there's Mudita and Upeka. All of us are residing in the one of the Brahma Vihara, right? All of us are resting in Metta or resting in you know, resting in compassion and so forth. So, so that's, you know, metta has its home there. It's part of a larger teaching. I think we'll, and we'll touch during these next days, particularly in the afternoon sessions at four, we'll bring in the practice of compassion, the practice of mudita or joy. Uh, And I think we won't be doing equanimity, but we'll bring in, uh, also, sort of other heart practices, forgiveness particularly. So we, we, we often say that there is actually just one kind heart, just one awakened heart, but depending on the situation, it takes different flavors or different forms. And so metta is the general way that we sort of meet uh, beings with kindness, with warmth, with goodwill. And when we encounter, either in ourselves or in others, something that's hard or difficult or painful, that awakened heart becomes compassion. It's the same heart, but it has a little different flavor. And when that awakened heart encounters something wonderful or beautiful, or um, someone else's well-being, happiness, it becomes mudita. We translate it sometimes as sympathetic joy or appreciative joy or joy in the joy of others. And when we, when we bring that to ourselves, we call it gratitude. Whoops. Oh, there she's back. Very good. <laughs> And, you know, then I think I would add to that set of heart practices, empathy, is, I think, is very closely connected to all of this, that ability to connect with what's happening for another, you know, because metta really goes towards um, what? Going beyond priority or going beyond complete priority for our own experience, and it goes towards um, it goes towards interconnection. You know, there's a beautiful story where um, I think one of the monks. Let me see if I have this here. One of the let's see where it is. Well, I can't find it, but I remember it. Um, there was a monk named Anaruda, and he was living with three or four other monks, and they they um, called themselves collectively the Anarudas. And I always thought of that kind of sounds like a a musical band, right? The, the Anarudas. Anyway, they were called the Anarudas, and the Buddha came to visit them, and he said, you all are living so harmoniously together. How is that possible? And Anuruddha answered, he said, we have diverse bodies, but we only have one heart and mind. This has been accomplished through metta. The sense that they were all almost like their heart and minds were together, were connected, were unified, right? And so... Um, that's the direction of the practice. 
This is from the uh, 14th century, from the Tibetan tradition, about these four qualities. Out of the soil of metta grows the beautiful bloom of compassion to be watered by tears of joy under the cool shade of the tree of equanimity. uh, Long Chenpa, one of the greatest of the Tibetan teachers, 14th century. And again, from the teachings, what we get is that the reason that metta practice really works is that in our deepest nature, there is that kindness, that warmth, that love. And it gets covered over, right? And it gets covered over. And one of the, one of the interesting ways that this comes out sometimes, and maybe you've experienced this, I've experienced this in... in um, Sometimes in crises, when there's not necessarily, you know, a fear of being hurt or violence or whatever, when there are crises, sometimes this amazing quality comes out, which is really the quality of kindness in the heart. How many of you know that, maybe from difficult or painful situations? Yeah, there's some interesting... Interesting ways that that's been shown. There was uh, some of you know uh, an author named Rebecca Solnit, who lives in San Francisco, and she wrote a book called A Paradise Built in Hell. And she studied. Let me see if I have my notes here. She studied a number of different um, kind of crises, which kind of fit the model that I'm talking about. It wasn't they weren't weren't conditions of violence like war or something like that. But there were crises like the um, San Francisco uh, earthquake. Um, there were um, earthquake in Mexico City in 1985. The collapse of the uh, World Trade Center in in 2001. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, and some other a number of other ones. And what she found was that the level of caring was really, really strong. I've met people who were in New York after 9-11, and that's, they said, you know, I heard this from several, they said it was the best time to be there. People were at their best. You know, there was, there was warmth, and um, she found that, you know, because it's kind of the common view sometimes of the authorities is that in a crisis you have to really, you know, get law and order and all this and buckle down because there'll be, you know, crime and so forth. And that's not what happens. It's basically care comes out, right? This is from, this is from uh, the great um, Catholic activist uh, Dorothy Day. She was a child. I think she was. Um, I think she was eight years old during the San Francisco earthquake, which which was also, you know, in was I think mostly in San Francisco, and she grew up in Oakland. And this is what she said uh, about that time. And I, to me, it's really almost like points to the way that Netta is really who we are, most basically. Um, What I remember most plainly about the earthquake was the human warmth and kindliness of everyone afterward. For days, refugees poured out of burning San Francisco and camped in Idora Park and the racetrack in Oakland. Mother and all our neighbors were busy from morning to night cooking hot meals. They gave away every extra garment they possessed. They stripped themselves to the bone in giving, forgetful of the morrow. While the crisis lasted, people loved each other. Quite a statement, isn't it? While the crisis lasted, people loved each other. Kind of said, okay, crisis is over. Back to, you know, whatever, right? Isn't that interesting? It's powerful, right? And again, um, 
I've experienced that at times personally, right? You know, and I, I think, you know, I experienced it a lot in the uh, pandemic. How many of you have, have experienced something like that in the pandemic? You know, in, in my, you know, I, I live in the uh, East Bay, um, in the Bay Area, and my particular street um, had a really strong emphasis on community and connection. And so people, you know, we, had, we particularly had some really good community organizers who really took initiative, but we, we, uh, we still have it going. We would meet out in the street once a week and just hang out, right? Uh, that was one block. The other block had people playing music outside once a week on Friday night, right? And it was like something was really coming out, you know, that kindness, the warmth, the connection was coming out of a crisis, right? I've got to know my neighbors way, way better than before the pandemic, right? Really interesting, right? So sounds good. You've all signed up for Metta, right? Ready to have, you know, touch the depths of human nature and touch kindness and, you know, be available in crises. And have you noticed a few challenges to that happening today? Has anyone noticed that? Anyone had, you know, well, I'll mention a few of them. Distraction? Anyone had distraction? Okay. I, I, I'm seeing about half the people raise their hands. I, I'll take that as symbolic of a few more. Okay. And, you know, distraction, sleepiness, tiredness, right? Um, difficulty in really connecting with the heart, you know, kind of maybe dryness or whatever. Another one is, you know, other stuff coming up that's, you know, sort of, you know, whether it, whatever it's, you know, self-judgment or fear or doubt or confusion. What am I doing? How many have had something like that come up? Right. So um, um, this is all normal and we're doing really well. And those, those actually a good sign that those are coming up because they're, they come with the territory. And so I'll just say a little bit about how to work with them. And I think Kyra Jewell will say more tomorrow. How do we work with these uh, challenges? Um, and I'll say just briefly, you know, to cover the ones I mentioned, we, we develop in the meta practice deeper concentration, which really helps with distraction. And distraction is very natural the first full day and so forth. But we, over time, will develop more and more concentration. And then we'll also um, work with the sleepiness over time. We'll be able to increasingly touch the kind heart and have that kind of approach of leading with the good heart. That's, again, what Met is about. We learn to lead with the heart. I, I like that phrase. We learn to lead with the kind heart in our, you know, here, that's our training, but we also can do that in our daily lives. And then we also, as part of the practice, we engage with the process of what we might call uh, purification. You know, we, we are able to be with what gets in the way of the kind heart, and sometimes that can take some time. So I'll talk a little bit about that. So first of all, um, you know, we we can work with distraction some. Metta in itself is the continual coming back just to doing one thing. Um, and I love, I found, uh, I found a quotation. Um, I found a few that are really relevant. I found the philosopher Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. That interesting purity of heart is to will one thing. There's something very simple and beautiful about what we're doing, which is we're just doing one thing. You know, we're doing it over and over again, which can have its, you know, challenging side. But we're really, um, we're really coming back. You know, there, you know, we we know what to do, and 
but keeping that level of concentration is something that will develop with the metta. Just that continually coming back, repeating the phrases, develops more stability of mind. You know, over time that works. And, you know, in some of the Buddhist traditions, metta is one of the ways that one develops a deeply concentrated mind. You know, that can go very, very deeply, you know, through through metta, through the other heart practices as well. <clears throat> And so we we develop we develop that capacity more and more as we practice. <clears throat> you know, I found another quotation from the Russian Orthodox tradition from the 19th century from a, a teacher named Theophane. He said that dispersal of attention diminishes warmth. Interesting. Dispersal of attention diminishes warmth. Yeah, do you know that from being with friends or parenting, whatever, that we need to be there, right? And so one of the beautiful qualities that's also developed with meta practice is deepened concentration. We were talking a little bit about that in the morning, right? To to do to to keep on coming back. And so just a few suggestions. Um one of them is that the, the, the greater stability and the concentration develops in kind of a mysterious way, you know? And that's why it's really good to stay with it. You could be, we could be um, distracted, you know, for, we could be with the metta for five minutes, distracted for 15 minutes, and then we kind of, maybe we say to ourselves, you know, ah, it's not going anywhere. And then you stay with it, and five minutes later, you're back on track. It's really mysterious how, how this all works. And really, it, it's, that's, that's why it's really good to stay with it. Because you don't know, because concentration isn't linear in its development. You can just kind of be seemingly going in circles. And then a little while later, something falls into place. You know, um, I, I had an experience like this. I think it was the first time I did really... Uh, um, a week metta, and I was actually doing it on my own, which was a little harder. You know, I, was mo- I had I didn't really have that much instruction, and but I was doing it, and it it didn't seem to be going anywhere. You know, maybe metta's for other people. As I, I said that that was like uh, thirty years ago. Now here I am, <laughs> and metta's for other people. And I, I didn't think it was going anywhere. And then one morning when I was having breakfast and I wasn't even doing metta, I just heard pop out of my, you know, I think it, was, it wasn't uh, said verbally, but I just heard in my mind, I love you. I said, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> right? That was mysterious. Like I was doing the metta and all of a sudden that just comes in and, you know, and it actually uh, led to a deepening right that moment. And, I think uh, Sharon Salzberg tells a very similar story of when she was first spreading, uh, doing metta practice. Again, I think she thought it wasn't really developing so well. And she was, uh, I think she was called to some kind of minor crisis, you know, at the center in, in Massachusetts where she was. And she was a little bit in a rush and she knocked over a vase and she found herself saying, Oh, you klutz. And then a moment later she said, you may be a klutz, but I love you. (laughs) Whoa. Right? So it's mysterious. Uh, Keep on, you know, keep on practicing. Uh, Stay with it. Um, Sometimes we can also, if we, um, I think I mentioned some of this this morning, if we have repetitive thoughts, we can say, not now. You know, we can just, and again, if there's something that's important, you know, give yourself a time later when you'll get to it. Like I said, at the end of the retreat or, you know, maybe it's, you know, I'll deal with this when I get home, right? Something like that. You can tell yourself that, um, you know, sometimes you just say, not now. And you even can have a little bit of energy, like almost like we're training a puppy. You know, not now. Do that to yourself. So... 
those are a few things that can help with uh, with deepening. Mostly just stay with it, have patience, um, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> maybe a few things to do with sleepiness. Some of it, and being tired, some of it will uh, pass with time, usually the first day or second day in a retreat. A lot of us... This is our first retreat, right? And so just know that the first or second day, sometimes there can be tiredness and it it generally goes away. You know, partly it's like we're in a new place where, you know, got to get used to a new bed, new place we sleep. It can take a while, may not have slept so well. How many people didn't sleep great last night, right? So that's that's part of it. And that that will generally improve. and so I think it's, um, so partly that can be a factor. Partly it's just, especially if this is our first meta retreat, doing a lot of meta, it's a lot, right? We're asking a lot of our, of our minds, our system. And so mostly have patience with it. Um, sometimes, I, I mentioned this in one of the small groups, sometimes the sleepiness can be there because there sometimes can be a little more concentration than energy. And there's a state that we call by the name of sinking mind, which some of you have heard of, which is when there's a little more concentration and not enough energy. And you're, it's kind of like being in a dreamlike state, kind of sleepy. How many recognize that as sometimes occurring, right? And, you know, some people experience it and think, I've arrived, this is really cool, Right? you know, kind of dreamlike, pleasant, kind of, kind of nice. But it actually is more that the energy level needs to be a little higher. So what to do? Um, you could do a few things. You could take, you know, take a vigorous walk. I think it's good to, especially first few days, take one vigorous walk every day. You know, kind of could be a long walk, could be down to the road, or maybe one walk up in the hills, you know, Um and um, you know, if you're feeling if you're feeling that imbalance, you can do a little more vigorous walking. You can also, if you know yoga or tai chi, qigong, you can do some of that practice, which can, can balance out the energy. Do that right before the sitting. And so, just look out for that um, sinking mind state if it's there, and then you know, just try to usually bring in a little more, a little more energy. The other side of that divide is when there's a lot of energy and not as much concentration, and that will surface more as restlessness, right? And there, then we want to bring up the concentration. We want to balance the energy, something like yoga. You know, taking a nice steady walk can help. Doing something with the body can be helpful. <clears throat> then there also are the challenging states that can come up, and Maybe I'll talk more about this because one of the areas that I, some of you know, I teach on a lot. I call it transforming the judgmental mind. And there's a lot there. How many of you have noticed in the practice some self-judgment or, you know, coming up, I'm not doing it quite right or so forth. So we want to be gentle with that. And the the initial guidance for that would just be noticed to be to notice it. The mindfulness is really helpful. Um, try not to let yourself uh, feed it at all. Know that it's normal, that that it can come up, especially the first few days. Um, can bring in sometimes some self-compassion, maybe, maybe to give a little bit in advance. Uh, a very good self-compassion practice, um, which is from some of you have uh, know the work of Kristen Neff. I think some of you have studied with her. You know, and... This very simple three-part practice, when something is happening that's a little bit difficult, three steps say, this is hard. Number one, this is hard, this is difficult, this isn't what I want, something like that, your own language. Number two, say, this is part of the common human experience. You know, others are experiencing. That's why I like when I'm teaching and we talk about something challenging to get a show of hands we know we're not alone. Sometimes in meditation, we think, I am uniquely problematic. <laughs> Anyone had <have> that thought? <laughs> right. Not true. 
<laughs> I won't use the word problematic, but we, we share the challenges really with everyone. Right? And so that's the second step. Know that it's kind of an aspect of being human. First step, acknowledge it's hard. You can do this in two minutes. Second step, acknowledge it's part of being human. Third step, offer yourself some kind words, some words of encouragement. You know, you know I know this is hard, but yeah, just, just keep going or whatever it might be. So that's that um, when something like judgmental mind is coming up can be helpful in the moment, you know, and in the long run, it, it can take some time. So we just want to notice it, try not to feed it, um, bring some kind energy to it. Um, and maybe I'll say a little bit more because there's some deeper work also we can do to, to, um, to work with them. Maybe that's enough, enough for now on that. The general guideline with challenging states when we're doing metta practices, if something just happens, like occurs in a short time, we have, you know, we have, we get distracted, we have planning thoughts or whatever, we basically just come back to the metta. We don't even have to name the thoughts. You know, we just keep coming back. Uh, so not exactly like mindfulness practice. We, we just notice we're off, we come back to the phrases. If something lasts for a significant amount of time, you know, if you, I don't know, something difficult happened last week and you come back and there's, you know, maybe some anger or there's some um, sadness and it kind of lasts for a while, like a few minutes, that's when we would bring in mindfulness. That's the kind of, that's the guideline. When it's brief and something just happens quickly, we don't have to give attention to it. We don't bring in mindfulness practice. We just go back to the phrases, go back to the practice. But when something uh, lasts for a longer time, at least at least a few minutes, but could be five minutes, a little bit longer, then we would bring uh, mindfulness to it. Sometimes we might bring compassion to it because that can happen, um, you know, sometimes... On retreats, we have things surface that were actually important to us, but that we didn't have the time or the space to process it. You know, could be grief from a loss from a month ago or from a death, even from sometimes even from a while ago. And that can come up, you know, that can come up in retreats in general, but especially at a meta retreat. Because generally there's a little more, meta seems to be, seems to bring up a little bit more in us than mindfulness retreats. That's what I've seen. You know, there can be really, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it can be, um, if they're really intense dreams, normal. You know, know, sometimes in meeting one-on-one, people come in and report really intense dreams. I say, okay, fine. So if that happens, don't have to worry about things. It's just it's just part of the territory. So let me finish just with a few a few further reflections. And I think um, Kyra Jewell will can I think continue some with talking about some of the challenges with metta. So from time to time, we will touch, we will touch our, our depths at times. We will touch that quality of kindness. And it can feel really beautiful. It can be very inspiring. It can last for a long time when we touch, when we touch those, those depths. You know, and I, I, th- I think I'll close just with a few suggestions of, of that, uh, that depth which our practice can touch. And the first one is from... Uh, from the uh, Catholic contemplative Thomas Merton. How many of you know Thomas Merton's work? Yeah. He, he was at the, um, most of his life at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky. I, I lived for, in Kentucky for a number of years. And um, 
I actually taught, um, I taught at the University of Kentucky and I taught a good, a good, a good part of the football and sometimes the basketball teams, which was really kind of fun. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but um, I would go out to the monastery, and I still, uh, I still, I have connections there, so I still go. You know, uh, even um, I'm scheduled to go this year and go back to teach in Louisville, and uh, that's not a proper pronunciation, as some of you know, Louisville. So. Um, this is from Merton, actually um, talking about a time when he went to the dentist in Louisville and had an experience after that. In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It is a glorious destiny to be a member of the human race. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are, if only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. Maybe that's a good place to stop. That's the, that's the vision of what can be touched and then you know, brought more and more into our own lives and brought into the world. That's our, that's our practice.